0: I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me, um, your pew Bibles, to page 1641. 1641, that should take you to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, we are up to the sixth um, last word of Jesus from the cross. We've got one more to cover, we'll do that on Good Friday. Good uh, Friday. We've looked at, or will look at, when we're all done with these, three of these last words from the Gospel of John. We'll look at uh, three from the Gospel of Luke, and we've looked at one um, from the Gospels of, of Matthew and Mark. So this is the third and last saying of Jesus in the Gospel according to Luke. And we'll begin reading with verse 44 of Luke chapter 23. It was now about the sixth hour and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, He breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him Including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. This is the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, someone once said that this word. Of Jesus from the cross sounds a lot like a prayer that we teach our children to pray. Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Father into your hands I commit my spirit. There is a childlike trust and a conviction to Jesus' words. It's like he's doing one of those trust falls right and the father is standing behind him and jesus has complete confidence that when he lets himself fall back he will fall into the arms of his loving father into your hands father are you still praying that prayer yourself do you still teach your children that prayer Do you have that kind of confidence in the dark? Because it's in the dark that Luke tells us that Jesus actually prayed this prayer or shouted this prayer. And this wasn't some natural kind of of darkness that fell over the, the land or over the cross. It was darkness in the middle of the day, in the brightest part of the day. From noon to three. And the whole land, possibly the whole earth, depending on how you translate that word, the whole land went dark. Now, interpreters for ages have tried to figure out what could have caused this kind of, of darkness, this kind of blackness in the middle of the day. And there have been all sorts of suggestions, right? Some have said that maybe, maybe it was storm clouds that came up, kind of like people down south have experienced this week. Maybe it was a dust storm, the kind that tend to come up in the Middle East from time to time. Or maybe it was a full eclipse of the sun. Maybe that's what made the world go dark. But you have to remember, this was three hours, Luke tells us. And if you've ever studied full eclipses, they only last like eight minutes maximum. So maybe it was something even more unique than that. Maybe it was sunspots or a a solar storm or something like that. We're always grasping for what might have caused this sort of thing. The truth is, Luke just doesn't tell us. He simply says the sun stopped shining, or even the sun failed. It just may be that there is no natural explanation for the darkness that fell that day. It could be that, that it was supernatural. It could be that what Luke is describing is the sky's attempt to mimic the darkness that was present on the ground that day. If you recall, when the the chief priests and their co-conspirators came to arrest Jesus on the Mount of Olives, Jesus told them, this is your hour when darkness reigns. And darkness did reign. Jesus... The innocent one. Jesus was arrested. He was bound. He was struck. He was whipped. He was disowned by his friends. He was mocked by his enemies. He was humiliated in the worst of ways. And finally, when they were all through, they they threw him up on a cross so that everyone could see the fullness of his shame. This was indeed the hour that darkness reigned on the earth. And now, it seems the heavens are reflecting it. Darkness is a, is a rather vivid image in Scripture. You find it from beginning to end. If you recall, in, in Genesis chapter 1, darkness is present even before the world was created. Darkness there symbolized the uncreated. It symbolizes that which is uh, disorder and chaotic, that which is uncreated. And then God spoke His Word into that situation. And the darkness fled, and it was confined by God to the night. Light flooded the world. But if you recall, that light wasn't produced by the sun or the stars or the moon. Those, those objects weren't created until day four. The light here, the light itself, was independent of created things. It simply accompanied the presence of, of God. It came with his word. Many of you um, know Lily, who, who used to live with us. And um, when Lily was in that two to three year age range, she had a, a room that was right next to ours. And I think she was in a big bed by then, but, but she didn't dare get herself out of bed. And so oftentimes in the morning, we would wake up to these words, somebody get me out of here. And if we weren't right there, we would hear it again. Somebody get me out of here. And those words were words that brought life to the house. They brought joy to the house. You knew that life was ready to go. That's sort of how I picture God bringing light into the world in Genesis 1. Let there be light. And there was light. God was present. God was there. But what that means is that then darkness is a sign of God's absence. That God is no longer here. Or perhaps it's a sign of God's judgment. In fact, the Old Testament prophets tie the idea of judgment and darkness together quite tightly. Zephaniah, for instance, says that the day of the Lord, the day of God's wrath, will be a day of darkness and gloom. Joel prophesied that the sun will be turned to darkness at that great and dreadful day of the Lord. And Amos said, in that day, declares the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. Sound familiar? Darkness, in other words, was a sign of God's wrath on sin. It was a sign of of His judgment. It was a sign that these were the last days, the days that begin at the cross. But darkness also symbolized in Scripture the lostness and the hopelessness of sinful humanity. In fact, it's in Luke's very Gospel, way back at the beginning, when the father of John the Baptist, Zachariah, speaks of the coming of Jesus, and he puts it this way, The rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those who are living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into a path of peace. Jesus comes into the world as light, As light to cure the world of its darkness. But here at the cross, we see the light of the world being snuffed out. And darkness falls. The kind of darkness not known to man since before the creation of the world. The darkness of God's wrath, the darkness of his judgment, the darkness of his absence all because of our sin. What do you do when the world gets dark? I wish it weren't so, but there is plenty of darkness in the world to go around still, isn't there? There was another school shooting this week. There's even video to go along with it. You can watch the shooter firing her way through locked doors. And then you can watch another video of police officers courageously hunting her down in the hallways. When it was all over, you know the story, right? Six were dead. Seven, including the shooter. Three of them little children. I don't know about you, but that's more than enough darkness for me. And there's there's darkness even in the way that I introduce that subject, isn't there? There was another school shooting this week. And we all know exactly what I'm talking about because we've all seen it happen before, right? In fact, it happens frequently so frequently that we're, beco- we're becoming desensitized to it, almost as if it's normal, almost as if it can be expected. Gunmen indiscriminately taking life, heedless of the stories of their victims, as if their own pain and their own story is really all that matters. And you and I are left not in devastated shock, but in a realm of familiarity. Dark familiarity. What do you do? What do you do when the world gets dark? Darkness is not something we, we really want to face alone, is it? Bad things happen in the dark. You see children take each other's hands in the dark. We want to be with someone in the dark. What do you do when the world gets dark? Many of you know that my wife works uh, for the school system. And at the end of the day, we probably do what many of you do. We kind of rehash our days. And she goes through kind of an account of what happened at school that particular day. And we do this generally until we're too depressed to go to go any further. Now, Jackie's job in particular is working with students who are, are struggling in school. And there's never any one particular reason that you can give for those struggles. There's usually a multitude of reasons, but... Something that she has run into far too frequently is that at one time or another in their lives, they've encountered lead poisoning. They've been inflicted with lead poisoning in their life. And that was something we ran into as foster parents as well. I remember holding a little two-year-old down with all of my strength as the rest of the family tried to administer um, iron treatments. It was no fun, but it was necessary. Lead poisoning... It's something that all of us know is a problem, especially in our area. It's something we know how to resolve, and yet we don't do it. As a society, we don't seem to care enough to fix it. Unless it's our own kids who we know how to take care of, we don't seem to take action The world can be a dark place. Sometimes that darkness is in our own families, isn't it? I had a friend in high school who threw himself headlong and headfirst into the the world of drugs. And his parents, they tried everything that they could to help him, but in the end, they couldn't make his decisions for him. They just sort of had to watch. And those decisions led to a future of darkness for him. But there's also a unique kind of darkness that comes to a parent who has to watch that sort of thing happen and and knowing that, that it's going to lead their child to a future of sadness, but also knowing that there's absolutely nothing that they can do about it. You can't control it. You can't fix it. You just have to watch. What do you do when your world turns dark? Some of us pray. We kneel beside our beds as the darkness descends, and we pray. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. What is prayer, really? Sometimes I think prayer is is a confidence that someone is listening. Someone is listening, even when the world is at its darkest Someone's there. We learned this way of facing the darkness, I think, from from Jesus. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus prayed those words at the time of his death, but you get the feeling that that wasn't the first time he prayed those words. You get the feeling that Jesus prayed those words every day of his life every moment of his life he was constantly offering his life into the hands of his father for his father's care how do we know that where do we get that impression well one of the places we get that impression is from the prayer that he taught us to pray he taught us to pray those same words our father and he taught us to pray them in the daylight right Give us today our, our daily bread. Give us today our daily forgiveness. But he also taught us to pray those words at night. Father, lead us not into temptation. Father, deliver us from evil. Jesus taught us to lay our lives in the hands of our Father every moment of every day because he said our Father his father could be trusted. And so at the darkest moment of his life, Jesus prayed with complete and utter confidence, with the fullest of trust, with unbroken intimacy. Father, he said, into your hands I lay my spirit. For Jesus' death was not a leap into the void. It was not a journey into nothingness or who knows where. In fact, death was like life. Jesus was offering himself to his Father in that last moment just as he did in every moment because Jesus flat out trusted his Father. Flat out trusted him. And maybe, maybe this is a good time to talk about the tension that some of us may be feeling because there's a tension in Scripture. There's a tension in particular between Luke and Matthew and Mark and the way they tell the story. In each of the synoptic Gospels, Jesus lets out a loud cry before he dies. But in Matthew and Mark, he cries the words from, from Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They're words of abandonment. They're words of distress. But in Luke, Jesus cries out words from Psalm 31. They're words of of trust and faith. And that's what the psalm is all about. It's, It's a psalm of trust and faith in God. And so Jesus cries out, into your hands I commit my spirit. So there's the tension, and we have to try to answer it. Which one is it? Which one is it? Did Jesus die screaming, why? Or did he die trusting? I trust the Lord my soul to take. Was the Father there, or was Jesus alone? As one person put it, was he abandoned by God? Or was he abandoning himself to God? What was going on here on the cross? And that tension is not easy for us to resolve, is it? I mean, did the Father turn his back on Jesus or did he turn his face toward Jesus? Which one is it? And it's not easy to resolve because the answer is yes. Which one did he do? Yes. He did both. He turned his back away from Jesus, and he turned his face toward Jesus. And that may sound strange, but I think that that's actually something we can probably identify with in our own lives. I think we would all admit to going through times of tragedy and great loss when we feel keenly the absence of God. And it seems like our prayers kind of go up and then they bounce off the clouds and they come down right back on us. We feel like there's really no one there. There's no one to hear. There's no one to listen. And we may be even tempted in the bleakest of moments to say that there is no Heavenly Father into whose hands we can commit our spirits. I think we get that. But at the same time, God's saints some of whom have have suffered unbelievable, almost unimaginable losses in their lives. God's saints have testified throughout the ages that in spite of it all, nevertheless, God was there with them, right there in the shadow of death. He did not abandon them. And I think we get that too. Sometimes it feels that That God is is very, very far away. And then there are other times when it feels like He is so, so close, so near. And sometimes we feel them both at the same time. Both at the same time. we can't explain it. It's just true. And so, friends, we live our lives in this tension between those two last words my god my god why and and father into your hands but but that's not just a tension between different gospels it's also a tension right here in luke's gospel it's a tension between darkness and light between a God of judgment and wrath and a God who tenderly and faithfully is waiting to receive the Spirit of His Son. So how does, how does Luke do it? How does he resolve that tension in his own gospel? How does he get from dark to light? Is there anything in Luke's test, Luke's text that can, that can sort of give us a hint? How do you get from one to the other? And I I think there is. I think there is a hint here, and I think it's this curtain. The curtain that Luke mentions. Let me explain that for a moment. All three synoptic Gospels report on the tearing of the curtain in the temple. This was the curtain in the temple that stood between the, the holy place and the most holy place. Ultimately, it was the curtain that stood between the people and their God. Only the high priest could ever enter into the holy place. And he could only do that once a year, and he could only do that carrying the blood of sacrifices that were there to atone for the sins of God's people God was present among His people, but we always have to remember that He was a holy God, present in the midst of a sinful people. We were not just allowed to stride into God's presence at any time. Both Matthew and Mark tell us that that curtain was torn immediately after Jesus' death. Telling us in in all practicality, that Jesus opened a way for us into the presence of God. That happened right after Jesus' death when he breathed his last, the curtain tore. Luke's account, if you noticed, is just a little bit different. According to Luke, the curtain tears just before Jesus takes his last breath. Just before Jesus dies. And it's as if Luke is connecting, he's tying together this darkness and the curtain. And it's as if Luke is saying that God is assuring his son that the darkness will not prevail. That the darkness cannot hold him and will not hold him. He's assuring his son that his sacrifice on the cross, a moment away, his sacrifice will be accepted. That sacrifice will be effective. That never again will another lamb, lamb's blood need to be spilled or need to lose its life because Jesus will never again or because Jesus is the lamb of god and his sacrifice will be the last sacrifice that's ever necessary ever needed to usher god's people into his presence people from every tongue and tribe and nation every one of us has access to the father now through one lamb the lamb of god jesus has changed things forever And that's what God is telling his son, that in the end, there will not be darkness, there will be light because of what you have done. In John, the gospel puts it just a little bit differently, right? John puts it this way, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. In other words, friends, even in life's darkest moments, even as judgment falls on his very own son, God is assuring Jesus that he is there, that he is at work, that he sees, that he has not turned his face away, that he is active, he's involved, he's actually transforming evil into good. Did Jesus experience the absence of God? Yes. Did Jesus experience the judgment of God for our sins? Yes. Did he also experience the fullness of God's presence there on the cross? Did he experience the fullness of God's approval? Of God's satisfaction? The fullness of God's joy? The fullness of God's love? The fullness of God's pride in His Son and in what His Son had done. Yes! Jesus experienced all of that. Experienced both. That's why He could fully trust His Spirit to the hands of His Father. That's why He could pray, Father, into Your hands. Friends, what do you do when your world turns dark? When God seems so far away, so unconcerned, so uninvolved, what do you do? Do you pray? Do you trust your life to Him? Living or dying, do you trust your life to Him? You can, you know, because we have Jesus' full assurance that even, even when the darkness is deepest, God will still be there. God will still be there. He will not avert his eyes. He will not turn his face away from even the darkest of evil that we go through and that falls upon us. I don't know about you, but I have to turn my eyes away sometimes. I have to turn my eyes away from the darkness. I can only take so much. Nashville, Ukraine, the fire in Juarez, the tornadoes, it all starts to add up. And then there's the personal stuff on top of that, all the encounters with personal evil. It just gets to be too much. Someone recommended a new TV show to, uh, to Jackie and I, a new series, and um, I, I hope it wasn't one of you. Um, <clears throat> if it was, I forgive you, but um, <laughs> it was this show about this fungus, maybe some of you have seen it, that's like taking over the world. And we started watching the first show, and, and yeah, this fungus is, is coming to life in people, and everybody's dying, and there's zombies all over the place, and I just had to turn it off. I, I just couldn't take it. It was like, there is so much darkness and evil and death in the world, I can't take it anymore. I don't want to watch it on TV too. And that's the way I get. I just, I, after a while, I just have to turn my face away. God doesn't. God didn't. And he never will. He will not avert his eyes. From any darkness that you go through. And we know that because he did not avert his eyes to the darkest event that ever took place in history the death of his own son. Our God will always be there, even in the darkness, to hold us and to receive us. How do we know? Because God has provided a way through the darkness in Jesus for us. Just, just think of the flood back in Genesis again for a moment. Remember how the flood happened? You know, the, the waters from above converged with the waters from below, and they came together to wipe out all of the evil of man's sin. And, and yet God provided an ark for his people didn't he? An ark to get them through. And the situation here is, is is similar. We have all of the darkness of the sins of us and the rest of mankind converging with the darkness of God's judgment on all of those sins. And they threaten to overtake us and overwhelm us and sweep us away. And yet God provides us another ark, doesn't he? A savior. Jesus Christ, who, who, who takes us through the darkness and through the veil and into the very presence of God, our Father, who will hold us and keep us forevermore. That's how we know. I was listening to uh, to the radio. <clears throat> I think it was this week, and um, it was it was Steve the Homer True. I don't know if you've ever listened to him. He's a sports commentator. He also um, broadcasts the Marquette basketball games. And um, for once, he and I were thinking on the same line. And he was asking this question. He says, "Well." If Connecticut, you know, makes it to the Final Four and then they make it to the championship game and then they, they win the championship, okay, Connecticut's in the same conference as Marquette. And so if they win the national championship, but really Marquette beat them during the regular season and beat them also in the conference tournament, what does that mean? What does that mean for Marquette? Does that mean that Marquette really is actually the national champion? Which I would say, yeah, I mean, and my bracket would be doing a lot better, let me tell you. This was, this was his answer. What does that mean for Marquette, that Connecticut wins the championship? This was his answer. Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Connecticut has their, their you know, their world and Marquette has their own world. You, you kind of are responsible for your, yourselves. But I want to flip that question around a moment. What what is the death of Jesus and his prayer from the cross? What does that have to do with us, with you and me? Is it the same answer? Absolutely nothing. I think the answer is just the opposite. It's absolutely everything. Absolutely everything. Because by faith, you and I are united with Jesus Christ. And so by faith, when he went through the darkness, and when he went through the curtain, and when he went into God's presence, we went with him. And we are now safely landed in the presence of our Heavenly Father, and that cannot be changed. And just as God faithfully received Jesus, he faithfully receives us as the people of Jesus Christ. And so, friends, we can pray this prayer with every confidence in life and in death. Father, into your hands I lay my spirit and I trust you with it forever. What do you do when darkness comes? You commit yourself to the Lord in life and in death. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's incredible for us to think of what you went through on that cross what you went through for us, what you experienced for us. Separation from God. God's wrath upon our sins. Lord, we can't even imagine. And yet, you also testify that there on that cross you experienced the presence of God and the approval of God. And you gave your life trustingly and willingly into his hands, just as you had done from the very beginning. And you went on to testify that your Father is faithful. And when he raised you up from the grave... He gave his testimony that everything you had done accomplished exactly what it was supposed to accomplish. The redeeming of this world. And so, Lord, give us your Holy Spirit that with Jesus we too, every moment of our lives, may offer up our lives, our spirits, body, soul, and mind into the hands of our loving Father, trusting That they are safe in his hands always safe even when it's dark even when life is not safe even when faithfulness to jesus holds a cross before us may we trust that your hands will safely care for us this is our prayer in jesus name amen